Well, we're all here because of a person named Jesus, so I thought we would start with just throwing it out to you. Can you tell me what comes to mind? I know this is super general. Just throw out to me things that come to mind when you think of Jesus. Great. Savior? Life? Kindness? Love? Son of man. Yeah, those are all really good things. I'll add one more. Can you guess what it is? Nehemiah? Or Malachi, sorry. No, no guesses. Okay. Joel, what's one thing that comes to mind when you think of Jesus? Love. All right. I'm going to tell you what I'm thinking about. All those are good things. Jesus was a master storyteller, right? Even if you didn't grow up in the church, you've probably heard of some of the stories Jesus told, or at least you've heard references to them. Things like, oh, he was a prodigal son, or that person who helped me beside the road, they were a good Samaritan, right? These are allusions to or references to the parables of Jesus. And what we're doing this week is starting a series on those parables. So it's what we're going to do from now right through to the end of the year. But what is a parable? What is a parable? Well, a parable, I'll start with what it's not. A parable is not a moralistic fable. I have a copy of Aesop's fable at home from grandma, and in it you have stories like uh, the tortoise and the hare. You know that one? Do you guys know what the moral of the tortoise and the hare is? (laughs) Sort of. Anybody? Just... That's exactly it. Had it in the first service, had it in the second service. Slow and steady rinse the waste. That's how it, the one-liner at the bottom, and that's the moral. So are the parables like this? Are they moralistic fables? Well, they're not fables. If you think about it, there's no talking animals like in Aesop's. No, they're all really real-life scenarios. You got cooking and baking and even paying your taxes. Um, so they're not fables. And they're not really mere moral lessons either. I certainly got that when I was in Sunday school, that the parables teach moral lessons about Jesus. And then it seems if we want to learn more of the meaty stuff of God, we go to the apostles in Solomon. But no, the parables are not merely just moralistic lessons of Jesus. They're actually the meat of Jesus's theology. The meat of Jesus's theology. They're both uh, very simple in that anyone can understand them, and at once very complex. And through them, what is a parable? What does Jesus mean by a parable? Through them, Jesus gives glimpses to see the world through his lens. A parable is a glimpse in which Jesus invites us to see the world through his lens. In other words, they're not just telling us, okay, here's how you have to live. No, they're telling us about God and what life with him looks like under his rule and his reign. And that's what is the kingdom of God, life under his rule and reign. The parables, then, are Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now, what's the kingdom of God? Most simply put, it is the place where God's will takes place. I should say, the kingdom of God is where God's will takes place. I have a a two-year-old daughter, and she has a very strong will. 
And sometimes I get the impression in our household that it is the kingdom of Hazel. The kingdom of God is where God's will takes place. It's where love is shown to a vulnerable neighbor. That's evidence of the kingdom of God breaking in. That's the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? It's where there's true repentance before the Father. That's evidence of the kingdom of God breaking in. It's true love and true justice and true mercy and the inbreaking of dreams and visions and healing and all of these things make up the kingdom of God. And that means then it's not just people, right? It involves the people of God, the church, but it's really more than that. And it's also not all in the future. The disciples didn't have 1970s like fold-out flip charts. There's the kingdom of God at the end. No, he said, to you the secret is revealed. So he's talking to disciples. They didn't have flip charts. And he meant something very specific. He said in Matthew 1.15, the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, it is now. That with the arrival of the king, so has come the kingdom. But it is also not fully yet. That's why we pray that your kingdom, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That this is a prayer until Jesus' return, that we would see the kingdom of God break out more fully amongst us now. And if you're feeling like me lately, you want to see that break in more now. You want to see more of that true justice, more of that great mercy, more of that sweeping repentance, repentance in the kingdom of God coming in here and now. In the West, right? We know it, that we are in a season of accelerating decline among those who call themselves Christians, are we not? Just this past year, as a result of this past year, really, as well, a Barna survey came out. One in five churches are facing permanent closure in North America in the coming year. And I'm not just talking about butts on seats here or online. No, I'm talking about people you know in your who Weren't they Christians? I mean, they were part of Citigroup. They gave, they served, and now when you talk to them about the Word of God, they're just like, meh, and you're like, what is happening? What's going on? Well, this is why we're doing this series on the parables, that in a time of accelerating decline, we need to be reminded of the king and his unstoppable kingdom, that there is more for us than this. Is there not? And looking at this parable today is especially relevant for that, this. That this is a parable about how people receive the word of God over the long haul. It's sort of like the parable about parables <laughs> in that way. And so let's look at the parable of the sower. It starts in verse 5. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. I'll constantly be referring back to the text. It says in verse 5, A sower went out to sow his seed. And I'm going to give some context here for Jewish farming technique in the first century. You would have the farmer, who's the sower, and they would have their seeds to their side. And as they sowed their seeds, they would dip their hand in the seeds and they would scatter it as evenly as possible on the field in front of them. And 
the farmer's field and the field of the farmer to the side of him were just divided by like really hard-packed footpaths. And so no matter how well, how evenly the farmer would throw his seed, some of it would inevitably, as you coated your whole field, go to the sides and on the path and also fall in places that weren't good for growing, really. And that was normal. That was fine. And yet, as the sower does this, Jesus says that there are four conditions of the soil that receives that seed. And what I'm going to do is ask you to tell me those four conditions now. So, starting in order, what is the first of the four conditions of the soil? Audience. Gravel? That's the second one. Rocky soil. What's the first one? Fertile. That's the fourth one. <laughs> Which? Thorns. Third one? What? The road. That's right. On the path. Yeah, that's the hard soil. Okay, so now we have all four of them. <laughs> Not quite in order, but that's okay. This is a getting, getting the wheels turning in the head sort of moment. So we have hard soil... And what happens at the hard soil? What happens on the hard soil? What happens? Audience. Oh my. Thank you, Dwight. Trampled and devoured by birds. What about the rocky soil? What happens? Yeah, no moisture. Dried up by the sun. What happens on the thorny soil? Choked out, yeah, that's right. And the good soil, it grows and produces fruit. You guys all need your Bibles. You're already lost. My goodness. All right. Unlike most of the parables, though, uh, Jesus makes the interpretation of this easy for us. All right? Easy for me, in particular. He tells me what it means, okay? (laughs) Um, And he starts it in verse 11. He says this. Jesus. Now the parable is this. The seed, he says, is the word of God. Specifically, it's the good news of the kingdom of God. That in Jesus, like we saw, the king has arrived. And even if the disciples don't know how this is going to happen, the kingdom has come. And so that's what the seed is. And what is the soil? That's in verse 12. The soil, he says, is the condition of the heart. This means then the parable is not about the skill of the man sowing the seed, nor is it about the quality of the seed. No, it is not those things. It is solely about the condition of our hearts. How do we receive the word of God? And so the rest of our time today, we're going to go over those four conditions that you listed to me from Jesus, that we have hard hearts, that we have rock or shallow hearts, we have distracted hearts, and we have good hearts. So first, hard hearts. Jesus gives the interpretation in verse 12. The ones along the path are those who heard, and he says the devil comes along and takes the seed. See, these are hearts where when the word of God is sown on them, they just sort of bounce right off the top. They can't get in. And certainly they can't grow any roots there, can they? The soil is just so packed together densely, it won't take any input And so this is the heart, then, Jesus is saying, of somebody who is unresponsive. The heart of someone who is 
uninterested, the heart of someone who is so self-absorbed they can't see any need for something beyond themselves, and certainly not the authority of anybody beyond themselves. And you might be thinking, okay, this is like my atheist friends, but do you know what the context, in the context of Jesus and his life, who he was referring to for the hard soil? The religious leaders. That's right. In this passage in Matthew, in this parable in Matthew, right before it, there's a story in which Jesus has a clash with the religious leaders. And they are so sure of their authority and how the kingdom of God is going to look that when Jesus begins to reveal who he is, they can't say that. They would rather say that he is of the devil, that his authority is of the devil than admit he has authority. That's how hard their hearts are. And so you can see from this, this is what makes soil hard. It's hearts that are unwilling to receive. It's hearts that are so sure about themselves, they're unwilling to engage in this sort of tilling process of self-examination and humility and actually wonder if God might be the authority here. There's no honest recognition of a need for God. This is why it says in verse 10, between the Jesus telling the parable and Jesus interpreting the parable, there's this verse here. This is why it's a parable about parables. He says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. So why is Jesus teaching in this way? Is he intentionally saying, I'm obscuring things from people? Is that what Jesus is saying? Well, in a way, yes. In a way, yes. And how could that be? Jesus is saying this because he already knows the condition of his hearers' hearts. He already knows the condition of his hearers' hearts in such a way that he's telling parables that have this sort of dual capacity that at once, for those who are spiritually open, they will be able to receive the parable and grow, and for those who are spiritually closed, it will be obscured to them. So knowing their hearers' hearts has this dual capacity both to obscure and to reveal. And it might be discouraging to hear that. Right? We think, well, oh man, there are people in our lives we know who it seems their hearts are hardened, who it seems do not engage in a process of self-reflection, who are sure of themselves and their own authority and are not open in any way at all. They complete, seem to be completely irresponsive. And yet what it's important to see that Jesus is reminding us here is that there, are more, there is more to it than we think, isn't there? That there is a spiritual dimension to what is happening, and we, we need not forget that. That we should not be naive of this. That like Paul says, there is more, that we, we wrestle not just against flesh and blood, Right? but against principalities and powers. And so what does this mean for us then? That there is always hope. That because Jesus has defeated death and through it the devil, that we can then, not knowing the final state of where someone ends up, pray that God would silence the lies of the enemy and soften their heart and have faith that God can hear And we'll hear our prayers. So Jesus tells us then that there are people who have hard hearts that need to be humbled. 
But there are more. There are also the second one. Hard hearts, shallow hearts. He gives the interpretation in verse 13. He says, Jesus' interpretation. These are the ones... And the, one, sorry, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, fall away. I found uh, John MacArthur was helpful on this in talking about what does this mean by rock soil. He says that no self-respecting farmer would just leave rocks kicking around in their soil, right, in a field. No, this is not referring to soil with rocks in it. This is referring to soil that has a bed of rock below it where the farmer can't see and below where the farmer can't till. This is essentially a rock bed of soil. It's shallow soil that has a rock bed underneath it. This is what Jesus is talking about. And what happens in soil like this? Well, initially the seeds go and they sit. Looks nice, nice soil. And they grow very quickly. Why? Because the roots can't go down, it pushes up quite quickly, more quickly than anything else. But what happens when the sun comes out? Dries up, dead, gone, right? And Jesus says, this is what shallow hearts look like. This is what shallow hearts look like in that they seem receptive at first. When they hear the word, it says they receive it with joy. They're excited to hear the word. They're like, yes, God is on the move. We observe it and we say like, yes, God is on the move, right? There's a lot of hype and activity. But then what does Jesus say? When the sun comes, when the heat get turns up, turned up, they're gone. They're gone. Why? No roots. No real deep roots. In other words, take away, it is possible to receive life. It is possible to receive joy from the shallow roots of living a merely moral life or in community or on theological knowledge or whatever. And some of us can go for years thinking this way. You see what I'm saying? It is possible for us to root ourselves not in Jesus himself, but in all the things that are connected to Jesus to not actually draw our life from him, but draw our life from the community associated with him, the knowledge connected to him, the moral life attached to him, that good life he talks about, and never actually know him. Hebrews 3.12 says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. You see, Jesus is warning us like this, author of Hebrews does here. We need to be aware of the tendencies in our lives to root ourselves in things other than Jesus. And we can go on for a long time like that. The parable even says that these are hearts that believe for a while. The Protestant Reformation was celebrated yesterday. Um, In the Reformation, the Reformers had this thing they called temporary faith. This is a faith that is they believed for a while kind of faith in which they assent to Christianity. They say, yes, I believe that Jesus is God. Yes, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. That's all very nice and true. But what Jesus is saying is that acknowledging merely just the claims of Jesus is true is not enough. You actually have to trust in Jesus himself. 
Mere intellectual assent is not enough. You have to give yourself over so that your life is hid with God in Christ. You have to root yourself such in him, not the periphery things, but in Jesus himself, such that you draw the lifeblood of your soul from him in him alone. Or you will not be sustained. The sun will come and you will be gone. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. A lot of us are experiencing this right now. We are in an especially hard season, aren't we? Yeah, it could be harder. But it could also be worse. I mean, or better. (laughs) Right? And maybe in this season, you've been tempted to give up. Tempted to walk away from God. And it's years like this that God says, how deep do your roots go? How deep do your roots go? Don't give up. Let this be an opportunity to draw your life from God, to root yourself in him alone, not the things associated with him, in him alone. Let him be the lifeblood of your soul. Turn to him, trust him, find your faith in him, not just an intellectual ascent. Ultimately, this is about delighting in God for who he is, for what he's done, for what he says, for what he gives. By way of an example, start with delighting in this text itself, in this very word that Jesus gives through this parable. You can delight in this text. How so? Do you see what Jesus is saying in this parable? See, Jesus elsewhere taught, unless um, (laughs) unless a seed goes into the ground, a grain of wheat grows, goes into the ground and dies, it does not bring forth fruit. Jesus is the word of God come down from heaven. That was not shallow. That was not hard. That was not a mixed and distracted heart. No, none of these things. He was always faithful to his father. Jesus is the word of God that has come down from heaven and died and was buried so that we could have life. Life we do not deserve. This is what this parable is referring to. You can delight even in the word In this parable, delight in God. Root yourself in him. Don't root yourself in the things associated with him. Jesus is giving us a very strong warning against that in this parable, that we can have shallow hearts. Next, distracted hearts. So we've seen hard hearts, shallow hearts, now distracted hearts. Jesus gives the interpretation in verse 14. And as for what fell among the thorns, he says, there are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. So here we see that, like in the shallow soil, this soil is also receptive, but it's a mixed soil. It's full of seeds that were already there. I used to be the one in my family who tended the garden growing up. I wasn't particularly good at it. I mostly grew beans and cucumbers because those were the easiest ones to grow. If you want to grow a garden, grow beans and cucumbers. That's my advice to you. But one thing was for sure in that garden that I had to plant the beans and cucumbers. I did not have to plant the weeds. 
the weeds grew on their own. And if I did not pull the weeds, I did not get my cukes and beans. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Why? Because the weeds, they would grow up faster. They would crowd out all my vegetables. They would steal all the nutrients in the soil and the water. They'd hog out the sun and no, no fruit. And so it is true and the same in our lives. Distracted hearts. Yes, they're responsive. Yes, they're not shallow. Yes, it even says here that they go on their way. This means that they believe, that they assent to faith. They show every sign of commitment. And yet, what? There are unpulled weeds of desire and will in their life that had never been dealt with. Those that still reign supreme. Not Jesus. Jesus calls these the cares and riches and pleasures of life. Of life. Life, that's, that's the key word. It's this life that they're focused on. It's this life that they're alone concerned about. Not the life to come. Not the kingdom of God and all of God's values that come with that. No, them, themselves, now, the temporal, not the eternal. And what happens is those weeds grow faster and bigger and stronger and choke the word of God out. He was never really a resident there. He was only a visitor. This is a distracted heart. And this is also a lost heart. Think about it. The first one. The second one. The third one. What do they all have in common? Hard hearts, shallow hearts, distracted hearts. What do they have in common? From the view of the farmer, the sower. Say it. Huh? No fruit. No fruit. What value are they to the farmer? Nothing. No value. Are these our hearts? These are the warnings of Jesus for us. We must not lose sight of this, that these are lost hearts. When Jesus is not given the focus and the preeminence of our lives, our lives can be lost hearts. This is Jesus' warning to us. Reading all through the Old Testament, you see the people of God. The problem rarely is that they don't worship God. What is it? That they worship God alongside all the other gods. And this disgusts God. And it chokes them out, quite literally. Think of the life of Judas. This quite literally happens to Judas. He's someone, right? Even when the teaching of Jesus got hard, right? He stuck around. His soil didn't seem shallow. He seemed responsive. But what? But what happens to the end? Judas is so convinced of his vision of the kingdom of God that he actually comes against the son of God himself in his vision of the kingdom of God. And what happens? It literally chokes him out. He betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. What is Jesus worth to you? What is Jesus actually worth to you? I mean, I get, this is a super hard question to answer, isn't it? What is Jesus worth to me? Well, I don't know. How do you, how do you even begin to answer a question like that? So let me say it like this. The extent of which you're willing to give up for Jesus reflects what you believe in Jesus. The extent of what you're willing to give up for Jesus reflects what you're willing 
to believe, or what you have in Jesus, sorry. That means that he can ask anything of you, and it's still worth it because you have him. That he can ask you to move to another country, or he can ask you to stay in this city, and it's still worth it because you have your home in him. That he can ask you to change your religion to Christianity, and even if it means your friends are going to freak out or you might dishonor your family, that it's still worth it because you're approved of and honored by him. That he can ask you to live with less, to live with less so you can give more to his kingdom, and it's still worth it because you treasure him. That he can ask you to forgive your enemies and it's still worth it because you find your justice in him. That he can ask you to live a celibate life and stop sleeping around because he's still worth it and you find your intimacy and satisfaction in him. My friend, is that true of you? The extent of what you're willing to give up for Jesus reflects what you believe you have in Jesus. Jesus said himself that no man can have two masters, for either he will serve the one and love the other, hate the one and love the other, or be loyal to the one and despise the other. Who are you loyal to? I love the words of the song that uh, Stephanie Gratzinger released at the beginning of COVID. She sings this. Their children, let this be their memory that all my treasures were in heaven and you, Jesus, everything to me. So there are hard hearts that need humbling. There are shallow hearts that need to delight in God and there are distracted hearts. And finally, there are good hearts. Jesus gives the interpretation in verse 15. As for that in good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast with an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Here you see that unlike the other soils, this one produces fruit. This is not a heart that is unresponsive. It is not a heart that is shallow, and it is certainly not a heart that is mixed in with weeds. No, this is someone who readily hears the word of God and receives it. This is why Jesus could say, who is ears, let him hear. And none of our hearts, though, are naturally this way, are they? Right? This is an honesty sort of condition check of ourselves. We don't have these honest and good hearts, no. But we can ask God to prepare our hearts to be like that, can't we? Yes. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. It's the spirit that brings conviction of sin. It's the spirit that can take our heart of stone, like it says in Ezekiel, and put in a heart of flesh. And it is also the spirit that actually is the lifeblood of the fruit that we would produce. And so what do we need to do? Well, all you need is need. Cast yourself in dependence on him. Trust in him. Love him. Delight in him. Oh, obey him with everything you have. And in the end, what you will find, in the end, what you will find is everything that is good and true and beautiful like this heart was from him in the first place. It was all him in the first place. So as we close out, this is what I want you to see. 
These are the different responses that we can have to the word of God. And I think this is particularly relevant in the season that we're walking right now. And yet Jesus says, there can be fruit. I think we need to be remembering that. What is the fruit that Jesus is referring to? Is Jesus referring to butts on seats? Not necessarily. The most clear indication of fruit is not our competencies and our successes. It's our character. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. All of these things, the work of the Spirit in the inner person, deep inside, yielding something that's good and pure and peaceable for the world. And that has an effect. That changes things. And that's what we need to see break out among us, don't we? A lot more of that. (laughs) By way of application, don't change the seed. This isn't a parable about how different seeds have different effects. No, (laughs) there's nothing wrong with the seed. You don't need to change the message. It is so easy for us when we see people are unresponsive. What do we do? We need to tweak this. We, made the, we need to make this a rock concert. We need to make this a, a little bit easier on the ears. Whatever. No, this is not what Jesus is talking about. The seed is just fine. The word of God is just fine. In fact, it's, it's everything that we need. Don't change the seed. And keep sowing as well. There is nothing wrong with us scattering the seeds, broadcasting out, right? We, we get the impression, right, all the time that because certain hearts are receptive, we should just stop. But Jesus tells us, he, he tells us, us to encourage us and to help us understand why certain hearts are not receptive, that we repress on, right? We keep scattering the seed and not be discouraged because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, And the labors are few because many have stopped sowing. So don't change the seed. Keep sowing and prepare for harvest, right? What do we see in the good heart? There was fruit, and not just some fruit, an abundance of fruit. At the beginning, right, I said that we're in a season of accelerating decline, right? And it's, we need to hear parables like this because This is Jesus saying he has so much more for us than this, isn't it? This is Jesus saying, my goodness, do you see what's going on? That we're living through a season of pruning. We're living through a season of trial, a season of shallowness in the soil of so many, a season of distraction in the soil of so many. And Jesus is saying, take heart. I still yet have fruit for you and I am pruning. And in John 15, when Jesus talks about pruning, he does it so, can, so what can happen? So you can bear much fruit. This is the point of what Jesus is saying. In Matthew, he talks about how we'll bring 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold, that this is possible in the kingdom of God. Jesus is pruning his church to bring forth Fruit, be encouraged. The kingdom of God is unstoppable. Jesus is certainly on the move. The question is, what is the state of your heart? Are you willing to receive the word of God? Let's pray. 
Father, I thank you for your message that comes with such power and authority and conviction in our hearts. Father, I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here who is just in full recognition of the shallowness or the distracted nature of their heart, that you would bring conviction and repentance right now in Jesus' name. Father, would they turn to you and see that all they need is you? Would they throw themselves on you in dependence and root themselves not in the stuff associated with you, but in you and you alone and draw their lifeblood in you, Jesus? Create in us a clean heart, I pray. Renew a right spirit in us, O God. This is my prayer for our church in Jesus' name. Amen.